Welcome to The Definitive Rap, where we report the truth about American exceptionalism. We love our flag, we love our country, and we believe in America. The Definitive Rap, where we respect people of faith, the men and women in blue, and our support for Israel. And now, your host, Bela Sebraff on The Definitive Rap. Welcome to The Definitive Rap. I am Bela Sebraff. Thank you to Vin News for hosting our show. Today we have a very special guest, New York gubernatorial candidate, Andrew Giuliani, in the running to become the 58th governor of New York. If he wins, he will become the first Republican governor of New York since George Pataki. There's an old adage that the apple does not fall far from the tree. Andrew is the son of the legendary former Mayor Rudy Giuliani, who because of him, streets in New York were safer, and Brooklyn became gentrified and tourist economy as a result was booming. His son, Andrew, is a star in his own right. Andrew Giuliani is a lifelong New Yorker who was born and raised in Manhattan. He achieved academic all-ACC honors at Duke University before graduating in 2009 and then turning professional in golf where he won eight tournaments. During that time, Andrew interned in finance and real estate at Capra Capital, Brownstone Investment Group, and Jones Lang LaSalle. In 2016, Andrew volunteered on the Trump campaign in surrogate relations traveling to the Republican and Democrat national conventions and all three presidential debates. He then joined the Trump administration as associate director of the Office of Public Liaison in 2017. In 2019, he was promoted to special assistant to the president. His role consisted of working with high-level business leaders and CEOs to help President Trump and his cabinet secretaries craft policy specifically including the 2017 tax cuts, the deregulation of businesses of all sizes, and was proud of his work on the opioid task force. In his final year at the White House, Andrew was directly involved with several initiatives that saved millions of American jobs amid the coronavirus pandemic. He collaborated with the Department of Treasury and business leaders to craft the Paycheck Protection Program and worked to vet and shape President Trump's Great American Reopening Committee. After leaving the White House, Andrew worked as an on-air contributor and political analyst for Newsmax Television. He is currently on the board of the United States Holocaust Museum and has been involved in helping Tunnel Two Towers, Heart of a Lion Foundation, the First Tee, City Meals on Wheels, Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, the Maurer Foundation, and the United Cerebral Palsy. He is married to his best friend in the world, world the best friend in the world Zaville I guess I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly Zaville is that kind of <laughs> correct um, they met at Yankee Stadium on September 25th 2014 um, they were married on July 14 2017 at St. Joseph's of uh, Greenwich Village and celebrated 100 yards from where Andrew's great-grandfather first stepped foot in America in Battery Park Andrew it gives me tremendous honor to welcome you to the definitive rap well, Bela, thank you so much for having me. You know, I've got to update that because now I have a, a beautiful little daughter. Zaville and I have a beautiful little daughter named Grace, who's uh, nearly oh. six months old. So, oh, my goodness. Uh, oh, my gosh. <laughs> thank you. It, oh, it truly is amazing and, and uh, loving every minute with her. Yeah. As, as we say, it, it, you should have tremendous nachas from her. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, we, uh, she's already got me wrapped around uh, her little finger. So she knows that, uh, look, you know, I may be running to be CEO of the state, but I know I'm number three in the household, no matter what. That is little girl. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. 
before we get started, I want to mention um, Andrew's website, nyforgiuliani.com. That's nyforgiuliani.com. N-Y-F-O-R-G-I-U-L-I-N-I-L, sorry, N-Y-F-O-R-G-I-U-L-I-A-N-I.com. And Bela, we actually made it even a little easier. So we now have a landing page that's saveny.org. So that way we're only looking at six characters to put in there. You know, people remember the name Giuliani, but they misspell it a lot, understandably so. So saveny.org is even a better place to type it in. It'll go right to our website. Perfect. Okay. Andrew, it is known that for you, Save New York stands for Stop Crime, Anti-Mandate, Voter Identification, and Educational Choice. Uh, Let's first talk about stopping crime. Crime all over is bad, and in New York, it's completely out of hand. Just a few days ago, 48-year-old Daniel Enriquez was shot in the chest and killed while on the Q train. He was shot in an unprovoked attack, gunned down in broad daylight. And this is not the first attack on subways. Passengers have been pushed onto tracks, pushed downstairs, stabbed, beaten, etc. New York has become a scary place. I live in New York, and I take this very personally. How can New York become a safer place to live? I think first and foremost, the number one objective of the next governor uh, and what I plan to do on day one uh, is sit down with the state assembly uh, uh, leader, uh, the Speaker of the State Assembly and the leader of the state Senate and say very simply, my top priority is a full repeal of bail reform. And until you have a full repeal of bail reform, I am not going to be funding your priorities in our upcoming budget negotiation because it's so important. The safety and security of New Yorkers uh, is honestly the most important thing the next governor can do. Uh, and looking at since bail reform has been signed into law, uh, we've just seen crime skyrocket, not just in New York City, where we focus on so much, but these are cities all around the state, whether it's Rochester, where last year they had the most murders ever in recorded history, and they're on pace to surpass it this year. Whether it's Buffalo or Syracuse or Albany, which have seen double-digit increases year after year over the last three years. Same thing with Albany uh, and Binghamton. Uh, So to me, this is very simple. We need to repeal bail reform. But also when talking about our subways and our Metro North and Long Island Railroad, uh, the governor can have a day one effect on that. And I'll tell you how. Uh, The governor actually has control of the board seats when it comes to the MTA. And that goes back to Robert Moses. 75 years ago, disagreeing with Fiorello LaGuardia when he was the mayor. And so uh, Moses had control of the governor. So he got uh, he got basically gubernatorial control over the MTA and having more board seats. He was able to make that uh, machination to to do that. Um, What that allows me to do, though, as governor is very simply this. If Mayor Adams will not actually have the NYPD and will continue to hold them back from being on the subway train and on the platform, I will put New York state troopers on the subway trains and on the platforms. And I want New Yorkers to see how safe and how clean our subways can be. You do that. And I will tell you, Bela, you will immediately see the mayor cleaning up the streets because it's going to create such a juxtaposition between that safety on our subways underground and the lack of safety they feel above ground that a mayor who is looking at a higher office already He's going to feel the political heat to make sure that he's doing everything he can to protect New Yorkers. Right. What about metal detectors? I mean, how do people get get in there with 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 guns and knives and and, and whatever else they they use to to hurt people, to hurt innocent victims? 
Well, look, we, we have right now fair jumpers. So, I mean, forget even about metal detectors. Uh, they're not even, they're, they're jumping through the fairs, basically. And one of the things too. that oh, we yeah, saw, yeah. yeah, one of the things that, that uh, I know my father saw during his administration was when they caught fair jumpers and uh, squeegee men. Now, a lot of people look and say, well, that's a low level crime. But actually, with 30 to 40% of the fair jumpers and the squeegee men, they had outstanding warrants for violent crimes. And that was one of the ways at which they would catch them. The police would then be able to run their record and outstanding warrants and boom, would be actually able to catch people uh, that, that were wanted for violent crime. What we've been seeing now is the exact opposite approach where we just completely forgive crime and look the other way on this. Now, look, I don't think that we should be overly penal on this. I'm not looking to lock somebody up for the rest of their life because they've committed a low level, uh, a low level offense. But let's be honest here, it, by, by not punishing somebody and by not actually trying to figure out how to correct that behavior, uh, you're now then incentivizing people to continue to graduate on yep. into more and more violent crime. And oh, that's yeah, they, the big they problem. They get away with one thing. They, they go on to the next level. Exactly, Bela. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Andrew, please tell us how you feel about the COVID vaccine measures currently in place. Well, I find it to be unconstitutional, frankly. This should be a decision between you uh, and your family with the advice of your doctor. Um, but it sh should not be mandated by the governor. Uh, you should not be put the proverbial gun to your head in saying, uh, you know, the, your health or your job. Uh, and we've seen, you know, when I think about our nurses and I think about our doctors and our firefighters and our teachers who for you know, the last couple of years, we've been holding them up and, and banging pots and calling them heroes because they've gone into work day after day after day after tough mm -hmm. condition. And now just throwing them away because they've chosen not to get the shot. I find that to be absolutely absurd. Look, I, I've chosen not to get the shot. And, and uh, while I did not lose my job, I'm, I'm running for governor. Uh, you know, I find it also absurd that uh, in November of last year, uh, I could go in, uh, I could vote without actually showing my identification, but in order to get a cheeseburger in a restaurant, I needed to literally show my papers to do this. What kind of a backward world are we living in, Bela? <laughs> it, it, it definitely is. And it's also, there's a safety factor involved because, um, People, I mean, people are can can uh, work in in the medical the medical fields. I know that there are doctors that that have been laid off, nurses that have been laid off, uh, police, firemen. It, I think that, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, aren't we all at risk with all these important workers out 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 of their workforce, out of their workplace? Absolutely, absolutely, and we're seeing it with hospitals and staff shortages here. You're absolutely right. I mean, you see it with the FDNY, and, and I know that there's been, uh, and the FDNY hasn't been uh, as transparent about this, and it's not because of the fault of the firefighters, it's the fault of the mayor's office, but I mean, I've heard that there are five firefighters that actually died of myocarditis after uh, getting the shot over here. Look, I'm not a doctor, I don't want anybody to think that I am a medical expert, because I'm not, uh, but that's the point. The state should not be mandating this. This should be you consulting with your doctor and making the decision with your family, period. The state should not be the one that's trying to leverage whatever they can to, to put this jab in your arm. This has to be your own personal decision. Right, right. There's a lot of controversy regarding voting machines, um, how they may be unreliable and prone to tampering, as well as mail-in ballots. 
Um, I could tell you this, that um, my husband who passed away in 2017 received the form by mail. And my father-in-law who lived with us and passed in 2009 received the form too. Quite frankly, how that could happen when there's a death certificate in place is beyond the scope of my understanding. So my question is, how do you plan to inject confidence and credibility in our elections? Good question. I'm not the I only think one that's, uh, that's saying yeah, this. Absolutely. I know it's a great question, Bila, and I think you're a perfect example of exactly some of the reforms that need to happen. I mean, the fact that um, your husband, God rest his soul, uh, received a mail-in ballot uh, almost four years after he passed, and you said your father-in-law, over 10 years after he passed away, received a mail-in ballot, show, shows that this is broken. You wonder how many more New Yorkers and how many Americans receive mail-in ballots that should should have never uh, been mailed out. That's why, for me, we need to have a a cleaning of the voter roll each and every year. Uh, This is unacceptable to have these ballots that are just floating out there that is ripe, that is ripe for fraud. And when we look at the machines, look, the one machine uh, that that we got a chance to look at, the Antrim County machine, they had promised us beforehand it was not online. That's the one we got to monitor. And it turned out it was online. And that's where we saw in Antrim County, Michigan, uh, that 3,000 vote uh, flip right there. Uh, there's been no other explanation except to say that it was human error there. Uh, I don't buy that, frankly. Look, I read through over 200 of the affidavits that ended up coming in to campaign ca- campaign headquarters in November. And these are the things that we saw. These are, these are Americans uh, like the ones in Georgia that, that literally we saw on TV pulling out boxes of ballots after Republican poll watchers is left. This was what happened in Detroit, where you saw on the windows back there behind you, um, literally cardboard boxes being put up so that way poll watchers couldn't see what's going on. And it's what happened in Pennsylvania, where they literally took a convention center 60 yards wide, further than you could throw a football. And they put the counting machines on the other side and said the poll watchers were present just because they were in the room. Well, Superman couldn't see that far. So it's absolutely absurd. Look, we have to mandate voter identification. 80% of Americans, which means the majority of Democrats, actually believe in mandating voter identification. We have to push for that. We have to push for clean voter rolls. And to be honest, I like the idea of hand hand voting again. Let's go back to actually pulling the ballot. We can trust it. We know that there's nothing online and there's no funny business when it comes to this stuff. And also, how about election day, not election month? How about election day? Let's have an election day. Yes. Yes, I I agree. I agree. And um, hopefully people will feel more confident voting again. I could tell you there are people that say to me, what's the point of voting? I'm not going to vote. You know what? Whoever's going to win is going to win. You know, and that that's 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 just wrong. That's just wrong. We're living in the United States. You know, and I've I've heard that, too, Bela. and, And that's obviously look. I can understand why people are disheartened. I mean, I, no, nobody was more disheartened than I was uh, when I read through these uh, when I read through these affidavits signed under penalty of perjury, and to see the judiciary not have the guts to take it up. But I have to tell you, we have to have the exact opposite approach of that because we're disheartened, because we're frustrated. We need to do instead of saying we're not voting, you need to go and get your five closest friends. Friends, if they're registered to vote, drag them to the polls. Get their friends to. to get to the polls. And if they're not registered to vote, you got to get them registered to vote now and say, we need you to vote now so we can change this. I can tell you what the left wants more than anything is to get the right disheartened and saying, you know what, 
we are not voting anymore because then we automatically lose. We can't have that happen. We need to make sure that we have more people that are registered to vote and rise up and make sure they hear our voices on June 28th and then again on November 8th. Okay. Um, you talk about making changes in educational choice. Uh, please explain to our audience what, what you mean by that. Well, there are two major uh, factors to that. I think first and foremost, I would love to see a tax voucher or a tax credit system, one and the same, uh, that we could utilize in New York. And I think about it this way, right? That creates and that brings the free market into education. So right now, if you look at New York state budget, you're talking about $75 billion, uh, including $31 billion from the New York state budget, $75 billion pooled in between New York City, New York State. Uh, and the federal government, really New York, New York State and the federal government and our property taxes that literally goes to the Department of Education. Now, who owns the Department of Education? The teachers unions. They own the Department of Education. I believe that every parent actually is the primary stakeholder in our kids' education. And that's why I want to see a tax credit program, because what that will do is any parent who wants to send their child to a private school a yeshiva school, a parochial school like I ended up going to, or even homeschooling, you can take those tax dollars, which you've spent and all those property taxes, and you can actually apply them as a credit to your parochial school or to your yeshiva school, which that then ends up creating so much more accountability in the education system. So I find that to be really key to making sure that New Yorkers, New York school children are getting the best education that they possibly are. And second, it's making sure we raise that charter school cap. So we right now have a charter school cap in New York City set at 270 and in New York State set at 460. Well, by the end of my first term, I pledged to New Yorkers that we will lift that cap to over 1,000 charter schools in New York. Look, the data doesn't lie on this, Bela, right. but New York school children that go through a parochial, uh, that go through parochial, okay. yeshiva, or charter schools perform far better in, throughout their life in terms of what they're able to do from an income standpoint uh, and a success standpoint than those that unfortunately are stuck in our public schools in New York. We need to make sure that we're doing everything and fighting for New York school children, not fighting for a teacher's union. So how can... Um academic success and future success um, be increased for public school children? For public school children, I think really by applying those two programs, because what you're going to do is you then create competition. Right now, there's a stagnancy in our public schools in New York here because there's no competition, right? You're just getting this money period uh, and there's no incentive to improve or, or get your students to improve. Your incentive is to get tenure. But if now all of a sudden that money can go to a yeshiva school or a parochial school or there are more charter schools you're competing with, uh, those parents uh, that are looking at saying, hey, you know what, maybe I should go to the parochial school down the street. Maybe that charter school, which is now an option, it wasn't an option because of the statewide cap, maybe that is an option. Now you're going to find out whether these public schools will be able to perform or won't be able to perform. The ones that won't be able to perform, guess what? Those students shouldn't be there anyway. They should be going and having a better option. The ones that will be able to perform, then guess what? Resources should be directed to those schools. Because to me, this isn't about politics. This is right. giving children the best option so that way they can succeed in New York. Right. They're our future. The children are our future. Absolutely. 
Uh, you're very progressive. Um, and it's, so you, 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 it's known that you stand for Save New York, uh, which stands for Stop Crime, Anti-Mandate, Voter Identification, Educational Choice, as I mentioned before. But you added something else to it as well, uh, the T. Can you tell us a little bit about, about that? So about the economic development, is that economic is that development? Yeah, you added a T to it as well, and you keep adding more things oh, in, in, plus, in terms of what plus. you're going to do for New York. And we want to hear it all. So we do save New York plus because you know one of the other things about it is from an economic standpoint. Look, New York is not competing, unfortunately, with kind of the best business friendly states in the country right now. That would be Florida and Texas and Tennessee and South Carolina. Uh, and what's the uh, what's the similarity amongst those states, they're either low or no tax states. Uh, New York is competing, unfortunately, with the likes of California to be the highest tax state in the country. Well, and people, it's are one leaving. Of the people are leaving and moving to Florida. Exactly. A lot of my friends are doing that. Absolutely. And, and I'm hearing the same thing. And, and one of the things that we need to do is we need to make sure that we're not the highest tax state in the country. Right now, the government for the highest tax earners in New York State are actually is actually the senior partner in your relationship. The government will take more than actually the federal government, city and state um, that then you actually get to keep. So for me, that that's something that needs to be resolved or New York will continue to lead the country in the out migration, as you highlighted there, Bela. And the other thing, and this is what I did in working in the White House with President Trump. One of the things that I was able to work on was his campaign promise for every two regulations uh, for every regulation he'd sign into law, he would cut two. That number from the time he walked out of office was over eight to one. And that's why we saw so much economic success during the Trump administration, unlike the current administration, where we're seeing $5 gas prices, inflation oh, through the roof. It's out of control. And a complete disaster. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, you know, as I mentioned to you before uh, we started recording, um, I've been a fan of your of your dad's. <laughs> oh, thank you. Me too. I have too. <laughs> <laughs> so we want to know, I want to know, and I know our audience wants to know, what was it like growing up as the son of Rudy Giuliani? Oh, it was exhilarating. You know, I was very, very blessed to have incredible opportunities, but, you know, more than anything, to be able to learn from a leader like uh, Rudy Giuliani, you know, a guy who... Um, you know, in 1991, they said that the, 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 the Big Apple, New York City, uh, was the rotting apple. They said it was ungovernable. Uh, and Rudy Giuliani took office in 1994, and he took a city that had uh, consistently over 2,000 murders a year. And within five short years, brought that down over 70% to less than 600 murders oh, a yeah, year. Oh, yeah, I remember. I remember. Uh, absolutely amazing. So to be able to see that change in many ways, it's inspired me to run. And, and when I hear people say, well, New York's best days are behind it, I say, no, no, I've seen this play before. We can change this with the right leadership. I know New Yorkers are hungry to see the New York that they saw in the late 90s and the 2000s and even the early 2010s. I know with the right leadership, we can change this and become the empire state again. So how did it get so bad so fast? It wasn't gradual. It just quickly turned bad. I got two names, Bill de Blasio and Andrew Cuomo. Unfortunately, that's a really bad combination when it comes to keeping your streets safe, uh, to looking at viable economic development. Uh, I mean, th these guys, anytime that there was a crisis, they just tried to seize more and more control. Uh, and we saw that obviously uh, with so many of our friends uh, where they tried to literally go after 
uh, our right to practice free religion. And, and that was absolutely disgusting in looking at uh, September and October of 2020. Uh, I think in many ways, they saw themselves uh, with a deity complex. I think our current governor, Kathy Hochul, uh, sees herself with a deity complex. I mean, you don't have to look any further than the necklace that she continually wears. Instead of having a cross or a star of David where you would have it, she has a vax on there. She goes into a church and says, I want you to be my apostles. Uh, I mean, what kind of mindset is that? I'm sorry. Uh, there's only one person that uh, I would be an apostle for, and and and, and that's not you, Kathy. So uh, I, I find that absolutely absurd. But look, they took a playbook that was working, and they took the exact opposite approach, and we're getting the opposite results. I look forward to bringing that Giuliani playbook back to New York and making New York the safest state in the country again. Absolutely. We have a big problem with homelessness. Uh, what do you propose can be done about that? Yeah, well, I think first and foremost, uh, we have to take a, a completely different look. One of the things that I hear on the left so often is, well, it's not compassionate to ask our homeless uh, to, uh, to get off of the streets. And, and I think it's the exact opposite. If your brother or sister was literally rotting away on the street corner, would it be compassionate to literally have them rot away on the street? <laughs> That's or absurd. To death That's in the absurd. Cold? Absolutely not. You're right. You're absolutely right, Bela. So for me, I think this is very simple, right? I mean, there are one of three factors that somebody gets into the situation where they're homeless, like we've been able to see in New York. It's drug addiction. Uh, it's mental health, which obviously we're seeing the ramifications of now in so many different ways. Yeah. Uh, or it's a lack of income. But generally, that last part, it normally stems from either a drug addiction or a mental health issue. So 90 plus percent of it is drug addiction or mental health. Look, we have, need to have interdiction programs. And that's one of the things that I worked on in the White House. I was uh, on the president's uh, opioid task force and was absolutely happy to see that in 2019, we actually saw a reduction in opioid deaths for the first time in over 30 years. Now, one of the really sad things about the pandemic uh, is we've seen it spike back up again yeah. over the last couple of years with people yeah. being as isolated as they are. Uh, but to me, this is very simple. Uh, you need to be very clear that we're not going to have our homeless rot away on our streets. That's not compassionate at all. Uh, and we need to make sure that we have the shelter systems in place. So then that way they can do that. They can go to shelters and they can seek the help that they need, whether it is the mental health uh, help or whether it is the drug addiction help. Right. Uh, but we, we also need to make sure that we don't allow them to uh, to take over our streets in the sense that it can't just be. Uh, literally in front of businesses threatening people. That is unacceptable. And what that ends up doing, what that yeah. ends up doing, Bela, yeah. is you end up then having businesses that already have all this pressure from overregulation from the state. And now they can't get customers in the door because customers feel threatened. Oh, yeah. They're afraid to walk in. I, I exactly. wouldn't walk in if I felt that somebody is, is unsafe standing right there blocking my uh, entrance. Absolutely, Bela. Absolutely. So so does this mean that you will increase shelters or that you'll have counselors going around and, and collecting these people and encouraging them to go to the existing shelters? I mean, I, I think it's, I think it's counselors. I think it's making sure that uh, our existing shelters are, are strong, but I think it's also a, a matter of interdiction at a very young age on this stuff, right? I mean, you, you actually, uh, the, the way this stuff works is, uh, people get addicted to drugs. That's what happens yeah. uh, at a young age. And then there's, you know, th there's generally a long line where they end up homeless. 
We need to make sure we're doing everything we can to let our youth in New York know uh, that playing with drugs is a very slippery slope. Um, and and we, we need to make sure from a public service standpoint, we're doing everything we can to interdict uh, before uh, that needle goes in the vein for the first time. Yeah. Andrew, on behalf of the definitive rap, I wish you much success. I have no doubt you will be successful. Well, Bela, thank you so much for having me. I, I really appreciate it. And for anybody that wants to come, volunteer, donate, go to saveny.org. Uh, primary day is June 28th. So make sure you get out there and vote. We actually just had a poll come out recently that had us up 10 points for the nomination. So I'm very excited with where our campaign is going into our upcoming debates. Okay, great. Thank you to Venus and to our audience for tuning in. And again, thank you so much for being with thank, us today. Thank you, Bela. Thanks for listening to The Definitive Wrap with your host, Bela Seabrow. Be sure to tell your family and friends they also can catch The Definitive Wrap on Apple Music, Spotify, Google Play, and your favorite streaming service. See you next time on The Definitive Wrap. Oh, 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 o